0: Hey, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today.
1: Pumped to be here.
0: So your podcast recently went through a shift. How has that changed your vision for growth and content?
1: Yeah, well, when we uh, when we started the podcast, which was started as a live event with Demand Gen Live that I started with Catano Zunardi, who I meant to see last week at CXL in Austin, but missed him. Hope he's doing really well. And so we started the podcast and um, it was all focused on sort of educating the market on these concepts about uh, demand gen and how demand gen was changing, how companies need to start, stop confusing demand gen with sort of like outbound sales or demand capture and split it up into creating demand and capturing demand. And then that evolves into like this dark social concept and just point blank. My company has innovated dramatically over the past two years to a level now where we have a Salesforce app in beta. We have a research product that's live with a lot of customers. Our services offering continues to evolve. And so the business has gotten to a space where our aperture and what we're looking to do and the mission of the company is starting to shift away from just focusing on marketing and now way more focused on overall revenue generation. So that whole system, the infrastructure, the operations, the marketing, the selling, the outbound motion. So as the business expanded, my aperture also in my experience as someone, when I started the podcast, we had four employees and now Uh, There's more than 100 amazing, talented people that work here. And so my role and my part of the company is shifting and changing, which has been really cool to no longer being the person that's so focused on, like, what does that Salesforce dashboard look like? What is that, like, how does that ad campaign work? And it started to elevate to, like, how are we actually going to accomplish our mission? What are we setting out to do? What's the blend of our revenue going to be between product and services in 2024? Um, And so I just feel like I have a lot of insight to offer working and and building a rapidly growing business that I want to share at a wider aperture than just marketing. And now looking at finance and fundraising and culture and accountability and business structure and a lot of those types of topics that I'm excited to, uh, to share on the Revenue Vitals podcast. The last piece that I'll mention is that we got feedback from a lot of people that there, there wasn't enough data associated with the previous Data Demand Gen podcast. And while I actually did bring a lot of data to that podcast, and a lot of the other stuff I shared was qualitative data, not necessarily in a report. My goal with Revenue Vitals is to level up the scientific nature of the content, specifically on some of the leaked research pillars that is always backed by data that's releasing IP, that's giving people confidence at a larger scale to sort of like move forward with our recommendations.
0: Great. What are some top resources or routines that set you up for success?
1: So I have a wind down routine at night. When I started my company in 2019, I slept on average somewhere between four and five hours a night. And that's not bragging. It's that I actually just couldn't fall asleep. And then it sort of was a revolving thing. And so I got really focused in 2020 on fixing my sleep and trying to have a consistent bedtime and being able to fall asleep and sleeping for a full eight hours, which I now sleep seven to eight hours every night and it's great. So I have a wind down routine that gets me ready for bed. And I try and do that at a consistent time, at least throughout the weekdays. So I'm usually like in bed at nine, nine thirty central and then a consistent morning wake up routine. So I wake up, I have a snack and then I just go to the gym every single seven days a week. And it just sort of like gets my day going and gets, gets a quick win on the board. I also have a routine sort of after I come home from the gym during the weekdays, I'm actually gonna take 30 minutes and I'm gonna write a LinkedIn post as I cool down. Um, So that's been a consistent part of my day for almost more, I think more than three years now. I have a a journaling routine that I do seven days a week. I started doing that in 2021. I do that around like 10 o'clock, which is very interesting to sort of like set your mind right for the day, work through some things and then just recenter yourself on like, what are the goals and what are you grateful for? And then like from ten thirty to seven, it's in like, it's in business mode. It's in like, get things done. It's weird. I've been, uh, I've been considering, I heard this concept of breaking one day into multiple days. And so I've been thinking about having like my first day where I wake up, go to the gym, write a LinkedIn post, do my journaling and stuff like that. Get ready for the day. I have a second, and then I have like a little bit of break. I have a second day where it's like all refine labs, business stuff. And then I have a third day from like seven to 10 that I could use for like social and personal stuff. So we'll see how that works. But that's a thought.
0: Great. And why is it so important to spend energy and resources on yourself as a leader instead of focusing on your competitors?
1: I'm going to take that into separate questions. So one of them is why is it so important to focus on yourself as a leader? I think this one is really interesting, especially as the concept of burnout and bad management and hustle culture and things like that continue to evolve. That I had a realization early on in the company that the current state of my company is just a reflection of how I feel and how I am, um, which is really interesting. So if I'm feeling disorganized and unsure that just somehow permeates throughout the entire company, Um, when I'm feeling confident and sure, and that type of stuff, the business starts to roll. And so when you think about it that way, like my main job is to make sure that I'm centered and have strategic clarity. So that's why I spend time with these routines and hours a day that some people might see as a waste that I'm spending focusing on myself to be. Now my job is really a game of precision, not output. So that's been interesting. And then the second part of the question.
0: Instead of focusing on your competitors.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so like I spend zero time analyzing competitors and I haven't been doing it since like 2013 and the reason is because the only thing that matters is your customer and when if you focus on your customer your customer will tell you everything about the competitive landscape I don't need to go to my competitor's website or try and figure out their pricing or things like that my customers will say their pricing doesn't work I left their you know I left their company it wasn't doing this it didn't meet this need your customers will tell you all those things the second piece of it Is that if you are looking at what your competitors are doing, then by definition, you are behind them, not ahead of them. Because when you see them marketing on Google ads, or you see them posting on LinkedIn, or you see them doing some billboard campaign, and the first thing that you think is, wow, that must be a good idea, we should do it too. They already spent six months thinking about what they were going to do planning it together, actually executing it. Now they're collecting data before you've even started. And so there's a, there's a really interesting insight that when you follow your customers, you will always be ahead of the competition. The last piece that I say is it forces you to really say, who is our customer? Um, because if, if you do it right, then your target customer actually isn't a good customer for others.
0: Now, how do you find that confidence in yourself to bring that to the table?
1: Yeah, so I believe that confidence is all about keeping the promises that you make to yourself and constantly reinforcing that. So like when I go to the gym seven days a week, I'm constantly reinforcing that I'm fit, I'm disciplined, and it continues to build confidence in that skill. Another thing is recognizing that everything that you do well right now, you used to not do well. And so a lot of people struggle with confidence going to do something that they've never done before, knowing that they're going to suck at it. And they're like, I just ra- wouldn't rather suck at it. But when you have the realization that you sucked at everything, then it gives you a lot of empowerment to basically go and try new things. And so I think that's almost like a output of confidence is that you, you continue to try new things and do things and not worry about what other people think. And then as my uh, profile has evolved and grown over the past three or four years, I've had people from the beginning to this morning on LinkedIn telling me that I'm an idiot or that my, you know, the things that I say aren't smart or that I uh, don't deserve the things, the accomplishments that I have or whatever like that. And you eventually get to a point when so many people have been doing that for so long that you literally don't care what anyone says or thinks. And I recognize that most people aren't there yet. And I wasn't there maybe four years ago. And most people won't ever, like, won't ever get to that point, which is fine. It takes a lot of discipline and desire to be able to get there. And so, yeah, that's what I think.
0: What are some top things that you learned as you transitioned into a CEO role?
1: So, the first thing that I'll say here is that I think that I. You know, I had my title as CEO, but my title really was probably founder until the company was 40 people. And um, because at that point, I, what I, the company didn't need a CEO. It wasn't evolved enough. It needed a founder and a vision and scrappiness and, th- and being able to go and flex and get a lot of things done and being able to bring on talent. And, um, and then their business hit the next phase of growth and the company at that point needs a leadership structure it needs clear accountability for who's responsible for what it needs people to have the appropriate amount of focus it needs the business to have clarity on what are the things that are important and what are the things that we're not going to do so that we can actually move forward and progress in the right areas Um, and that is a whole different job than being a founder and so that that part of my job, I think, is what I was really meant for. Um, when you're thinking about how are we, like, where are we going to be in 2024? What products are we going to be developing and evolving? How is our service going to integrate with our analytics tools and things like that? And then being able to get the right people, have the right structure in the business and then have the right people in that, inside of that structure so that re- really great people can thrive. Because in certain, if you have a certain business structure, then sometimes it can have, take a really talented person and make them ineffective. So that's something that i found uh, a lot of fulfillment in as well to see people sort of move roles. Oh, I was in this like analytics role at my last job and I came to do an analytics job here, but now I'm building the product. And you know, I, I just find it really interesting when people sort of superpowers can be unlocked.
0: So when developing a company strategy statement, as your team grows, how do you maintain consistent vision or stay adaptable?
1: So um, the reality is that when you are a fast-growing company, that your business cycles and strategy accelerate and actually need to change. And so there's a lot of people that read business books about big companies that say, oh, you need to have a strategy strategy. And then you just stick to it for three years and things like that for publicly traded companies that are growing 7% a year. That shit doesn't work when you bring it into 100% plus year over year growth, small company, you're adding hundreds of people a year. And so we operate planning cycles in an agile way. The strategy is always evolving and changing based on the data that we get from the market, um, which allows us to be super adaptable and. in the, the right amount of adaptable for where we are in our business life cycle, which is in like the early adopter phase. And as, a, as people working inside of a company, I think being very conscious of what life cycle the business is in, if you want a steady job where you work and you blah, 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 and you do those things, then like working at a big, large company, 50,000 people might actually be the right job for you. And if you are that person and you're in a hundred person rapidly growing company and there's a lot of change, then... You might feel confused or misaligned or, or anxious or things like that. And it's just about your environment. Effectively, like in small companies, fast-growing small companies, you need to be able to be adaptable and agile and open to change and willing to contribute to the business in whatever way you can. People that have egos or think that I need to manage these three departments or like, I'm going to do that or I'm going to walk just things change so much in small companies. And I would argue that if things aren't changing in small companies, that that's actually a negative because you need to, as the business grows fast, you need to be rethinking. So like the theory is that given our business growth rate, that like 14 days is equivalent to a year of a slow growing company for us. And so operating planning cycles on a quarterly basis really continues to meet the needs of the company.
0: What are some top problems that you think revenue teams will face in 2023?
1: The problems that I talk about are happening gradually. So it's not like they came and they left. They were a problem in 2018. They became slightly larger in 2019. They became slightly larger, but maybe dampened by the economic situation in 2020 and 2021 and parts of 2022. Now 2022, sort of that's slowing down. And the things that I talked about in 2019, I think are still going to continue to pressure companies. I think that the the lack of being able to create demand is a huge one, whether you decide to do that with customer success or marketing or sales or your CEO or anything. I think that that continues to be a big challenge for companies that don't recognize the way that people fundamentally discover buy and buy things has shifted and their go-to-market strategies do not match what customers want or desire today. I think that companies will continue to feel the effects of being over-invested in sales headcount. Um, I think that the balance of having the appropriate amount of sales team to capture the amount of demand that your market has and demand that you can create so that you're effectively most of your sales team is performing at quota and hitting OTE. I think companies are just over invested right now and they're gonna have to make some hard choices whether they want to continue to run their sales team with 47% of salespeople hitting quota and having that morale challenge versus having less reps and having enough adequate demand for all the reps to perform. So. I think that will be an interesting shift. The, the, the sales planning and modeling has always been reverse headcount model. How much revenue do we need? How much can a rep do? How many reps do we need? But it never factors in how many people actually want to buy our stuff. So I've seen that continuous continue to have challenges. I think that companies that, um, that put marketing under a chief revenue officer, who's primarily a sales leader. Will at some point between twenty twenty three and twenty twenty five realize that that was a terrible decision? It depends how you draw the lines in marketing, but you effectively just create a performance marketing team there, or a lead gen team, or a uh, quasi ABM like sales assistant type of uh, type of thing, and you lose all of the strategic elements of marketing. So I think the companies will uh, regret that decision if they haven't already. And what is really appropriate is to have a CRO that owns either just net new sales or net new sales and all of account management and the marketing should actually be said separately to create demand and to set the business up for success in the future, market development, positioning and product marketing, things like that. And then I believe, it's, it's, it's not that I believe it, it seems like there is continual decline in the overall, like the economy, which I think is gonna to continue to put pressure on revenue teams when there's a declining amount of demand. How did your company plan? right? So companies, company executives are in planning sessions right now trying to figure out how are we going to be able to add this much revenue in the next 24 months so that we can raise money then. And we don't have, that's all the runway that we have. So we have to figure this out. And they make over aggressive plans in an economy that continues to sort of soften. Um, and then you got the situation where the company is trying to get to 36 million, the business is really going to get to 24 million. And I think that creates a a lot of cultural and performance management challenges throughout the entire revenue team and company for that matter. So I think those will be some of the challenges.
0: Great. Thank you. So some revenue teams spend nothing, some overspend. How does investing in revenue R&D land in the balance between those?
1: Separate from from revenue R&D, if you just look at commercial expenses, that a majority of companies spend a majority of the commercial sales and marketing budget on salespeople. Some companies, it's sixty-five percent. Other companies, it's eighty-five percent. For early-stage companies, it might be a hundred percent. That is going to sales instead of marketing. That budget allocation has been this way from the beginning. When you had fifty reps in a in a field sales organization, and you had four or five marketing people at HQ, and that budget allocation has continued to stay sort of like in that range, despite over the past 10, 15 years, what has changed, which is that when people are discovering way more on the internet, your sales team has way less overall volume um, because it's not about trying to go out and create demand for the sales team. It's actually you need to create the demand and then the sales team is going to be capturing it. And so I think there needs to be a budget rebalance here where there's effectively more more investment and money in a commercial budget allocation going to proper marketing and revenue R&D, that doesn't mean go and take $2 million that you spent on your sales team last year and go and spend that on Google ads. It's about spending in the right places to, to achieve the right outcome. Another thing is that if you look in the marketing budget, and this is more taking a revenue R&D lens, if you look in the marketing budget, that a majority of that budget is being spent on capturing demand, SCM and SEO, review sites, affiliate marketing for you know, direct-to-consumer companies, cold calling and outbound under marketing, all that stuff effectively used to capture demand and a very small percentage of the budget is used to create demand, which is really what the business's gap is, is how are we going to create demand in the market? We have enough resources and sales to capture it. So I want to see companies have a larger degree of spend on creating demand, which would require them to change fundamentally how they measure the success of their revenue system. I talk about this a lot. I've broken this out on the podcast before. But when a company's measurement system is around capturing demand using software based attribution, no wonder the money and the spend and the focus goes there because the people are pandering to the be- the way the company measures success. If the company changed how they measured success to be more balanced, then you would see a, a more balanced budget allocation. I think that will some smart companies are already doing it. But I think for mass adoption, that will take three to five years for companies to mass adopt. But The companies that are doing it right now using hybrid attribution qualitative customer research brand and category surveys to the market like those types of research methods as an input to attribution is like one of the core foundational elements of revenue r d which then allow you to see what things are working what are our customers saying are working and then how do we interpret that and make decisions based on it and then when you have those insights like i i don't think that many executives feel like they have a clear sense about what's working and what's not. I don't think that most marketers know this either. What's working and what's not. We're just getting this result, but we can't repeat it or do things. And I think that by using this measurement system in a new way of looking at things, it basically is able for you to scrutinize and isolate with good degree of confidence what are the things that are working and what are the things that aren't.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. This has been wonderful. And a reminder that Chris will be live on TikTok Tuesday, November 8th at 2 p.m. Central at Chris Walker 171 to answer all of the questions you've got. So we hope we'll see you there.